Welcome to the We Do Marketing Hour podcast. I'm your host, Alex Valencia, and our goal is to help you grow your business, your firm, or your life in the next 60 to 120 minutes. In each episode, we bring on experts in their respective fields and have in-depth life discussions that offer you the tools you need to create cutting-edge strategies for your business, for your life, for your family, spirituality, fitness, anything you can do now that you can start implementing for a better you. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down with someone super, super special, someone who's out of the scope of a lot of guests that we've had on our channel before. This person is not only a friend, a family friend, someone I highly respect and we spend a lot of time with. Her name is Sika. And today Sika is gonna be talking to us about mixed race identity in today's culture and how it can impact those in the industry. She's not only an author and editor, but a professor here in South Florida. We're super stoked to have her on the show. We always have a good time. So I'm excited for you guys to join us, learn more about her recent editorial and some of her past books. This is going to be an interesting real life conversation with my friend Sika. Make sure you join us. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the We Do Marketing Hour. I'm your host, Alex Valencia, and I'm super stoked for today's guest. This is a different marketing hour than usual because we are not interviewing a lawyer, a law firm, or any colleagues within our marketing. Uh, with the growth of our podcast, we've expanded and want to interview just people out there, people that are doing something different that are making a change. And I'm so fortunate and blessed to have this person in my life. This is my motherfucking friend, Sika Dagobi Mullins. She is my friend. We have amazing conversations. She is a scholar. We have fun together. Our families have kind of grown together. Um, her husband's a great friend of mine. So I'm super stoked to have you here, Sika. I'm going to dive into your amazing and super impressive bio and then you can tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll talk about these amazing books um that we're going to talk about today and what what led you to to write them so sika dr sika doctor look at that wow she is fancy dr sika dagbovi mullins is an associate professor and director of graduate studies in the department of english at florida atlantic university here in south florida where she specializes in contemporary african literature she is the author of Crossing Black, a Mixed Race Identity in Modern American Fiction and Culture, which uh, was published. I didn't have a podcast or we would have had her on back then, which examines assertions of a black centered mixed race identity where black is not subject to erasure, but instead grounds a more expansive identity politics. She's also and super stoked to talk about this one. She's also co-editor of Mixed Race Superheroes, which published this year in 2021, which is the reason for this webinar, which examines representations of racial mixedness and the idea of the superhero. Her articles have appeared in academic journals such as African American Review, the Journal of Popular Culture, and the Palmcest, a journal on women, gender, and the Black international hope i nailed that wow that is impressive dr sika i'm gonna start calling you that dr sika can i call you when i got a cold dr sika 
So what's your doctorate in? Doctor. <laughs> what's the doctorate in? So I have a PhD in English literature. I have a um, wow. Yeah, I went English all the way. I have a BA, MA, and, and PhD in, in literature, kind of following after my mother, who was an English high school teacher. So wow. And it's true what they say about high school teachers and kids. They raise the smartest kids on the planet. Everyone I know whose mom or dad was a teacher has smart kids. And it's proof not only in you, but in my self-proclaimed goddaughter, Asila, who's absolutely brilliant for her age and gorgeous and one of the smartest little girls that I know. Um, so tell us a little bit about you. What uh, what brought you here? Um, I man, we only have an hour, but there's such an amazing history that I personally know about you that brought you here. Um, but also your mom, you know, your dad. Tell me a little bit about your background, where where Pop is from, where your mom's from, how they got together, and then we'll dive in a little deeper. Sure, absolutely. Well, first, I didn't say thanks for having me. So, Alex, a good friend, love you, love your wife, love your family. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, so, yeah, so I am, I think one of the things that got to me to where I am and um, is why I'm studying what, I, what I'm studying is because I kind of grew up not quite feeling like I ever quite fit in anywhere. So I have a... Um, a mother who's first generation American and a father who's an immigrant. And then I have a mother who's white and a father who is black, you know, West African. So my dad's from Togo, which is like a small country um, next to Ghana and in West Africa that's Francophone. So it's French speaking. Um, and my mom's uh, parents came over like Ellis Island came over, like we, we found their names like on a boat <laughs> coming over from Europe. Um, and so she's Maltese and Finnish. Um, and so they're like an interracial love story. They met in the Peace Corps and had my brother and I. And, um, you know, I think I, I definitely don't look like I'm like my mother's child. I mean, maybe someone who knows me might say something to make me feel good, but I don't. And, you know, much lighter than my, my dad. And so I think I was just always, and we got looks too. I mean, I think it's different, maybe a kid growing up now um, in like an interracial family, but certainly certain places we would go, uh, we would get looks. I mean, my dad is very dark skinned African dude. Um, and my mom's quite light, you know, white American. So um, I think I was always really fascinated in, um, issues related to belonging, where do you belong, when don't you belong, issues related to identity. Um, and, you know, when I, you know, I was a really voracious reader, and then, you know, I wanted to read more and more about it. And that's kind of what, why I, why I research what I research. It's obviously connected to my own kind of personal identity. So I know you're a voracious reader. So going back, back you know, growing up with your parents and at first question is at what point, what age were you like, okay, I want to learn more about this. And secondly, did your mom being so educated and your dad, um, you know, being black from, from West Africa, did they encourage you? Did you read white authors, black authors, mixed authors? Like, you know, what, what was the combination of, of content that you were taking in to open this up for you? Yeah. Well, I should also say my dad's a teacher too. So my dad was um, a French teacher and my mom was an English teacher in the same high school that I and my brother went to. 
Um, so they were both, you know, kind of pushing the academics, but let's see here. I, you know, I think that, so I'm going to tell, this is going to reveal my age, which I try to hide, but when I was growing up, you know, it was when I was in high school, you know, we were listening to hip hop. We were listening to Keras one and brand Nubian and the jungle brothers and De La Soul quest. And it was a, a, a time period in which, um, I guess you'd call it, you know, Afrocentrism was kind of in vogue, right? In, in terms of hip hop culture. And so um, me and my best friend who also happens to be mixed race, black and white, really kind of gravitate to that music. And so we were wearing our cross colors and our, you know, our medallions. And so um, I probably for that reason, like we were really invested in reading. I was reading a lot of African-American uh, authored texts. Um, so my favorite author to this day is Toni Morrison, who just passed away in, in 2019. Um, and I remember taking a course. Um, I went to a, a, I went to a um, private school that I probably could not, I would not have attended had my parents not taught there, very expensive, wealthy private school. And in that I had a high school class um, with Dr. Antonio, I'll never forget her, um, who was, who is South Asian and taught a black, um, uh, literature class. And so I think that really sparked it. That's probably, but probably previous to that, um, you know, I think back about my parents' own conversation with me about race, you know, I don't really remember any conversations. I think that I had a larger African family. Um, my mom's family was not that big and our folks she weren't in touch with. And my, um, you know, grandparents died when I was kind of young on my mom's side. So she never like told me anything, but I also phenotypically look black. So it's not like she had to, you know, it's not like there was any kind of confusion there. It was just kind of like, I was black with a white mother and mixed race. And like, we just moved, you know, kept it moving. And my mom, um, was in the Peace Corps in Togo in West Africa. And it's a like, you know, cool ass white woman who is um, invested, whoever's the underdog, she is um, applauding and trying to kind of bring up and, you know, um, you know, protesting for. And so um, I don't guess it was never at odds. I mean, she was, you know, she, she speaks, she speaks the indigenous language that I don't speak my dad because she was there in the Peace Corps. So she's like, you know, she was wearing African print cloth because she was there. So um you know, I don't think she pushed me one way or the other. She just kind of let us be. And, you know, I think that um, we both, like all kids, I think we're no different. I'm talking about my brother and I, like found, you know, used college to try to kind of find ourselves. And, yeah. you know, college helped us think about our identities and where we fit in or didn't fit in. Um, and I think uh, today, I don't know if you would have asked me in like high school, where I was much more insecure and kind of naive about things. Um, but now, you know, I see myself as both mixed race and black, and I don't see those things as um, opposed. I see them, you know, some people read those as like separate. I read those as kind of, um, you know, complementary of each other, you know, and I think that's a really, it's a more nuanced and more, um, you know, uh, accurate way of, of thinking about our identities, which in this country and other countries are just these like, you know, um, little boxes. You have to be just this, this, and this, right? 
when in fact, we're, many of us are, are not just one thing or a bunch of things and our identities are really kind of complex, our cultural identities, right? You were listening to some of that music too, right? Were you not? Our cultural identities are mixed up, our, our, you know, our ancestries, right? Um, it's really kind of complicated and deserves a more kind of nuanced uh, um, examination than I think most people, um, uh, you know, offer it. So I'm babbling, but basically that, that's a way to connect kind of my, my background with the kind of work that I, yeah. Kind of Do you think you identifying now and accepting it, right, is a maturity thing? Like, uh, all right, I've accepted, right? I'm not nor this box, nor this box. I'm this and I'm happy with it and I accept it and, you know, I take it in and, and this is what I'm teaching my daughter, right? It's not like, and I love that you said that, you know, your parents didn't have the conversation. Like, was there really a conversation to have? Or am I really opening the door to insecurities and, and thoughts? I'm like, hey, you know, you're different and you got to figure out you're different. And, you know, I'm sorry you're different. And then you just start putting thoughts in people's minds, right? That that start, you know, the mind's so powerful that you you eventually start manifesting that feeling. And it's so great that, you know, you were aware, they were aware, but it wasn't like, oh, shit, here comes my half half mixed kid coming home i gotta have a conversation or someone about it right just because of what was going on in society and maybe there was when things happened but it wasn't like an everyday thing and you know for us that are on the other side of it don't really understand what happens within that culture and i i kind of because it's new in my head i've been watching this guilty pleasure and it's actually done um it was a tv show on netflix called georgia and jenny uh have you seen it or i two episodes and I, I can't watch it yet but uh I started watching it I mean they're there they fit in a lot of information into one each episode into one series of you know just making every aspect of whatever's going on in pop culture in the world and culture and sexuality all into the episode but it's it's good to watch and educate but she was mixed and you know there were several scenes I wish we could actually show the show because I would love to uh get your thought process on what happens with her and her boyfriend when they have an argument over um identity and one was a mixed race uh she was half black half white and the boy was asian and white um and they both had really good um arguments of of what and one of them was more hey i just put my head down and do what i'm supposed to do and the other one's like well, I stand up and I think it's wrong and I just haven't found my identity yet. So it was so beautiful when you said, I found that identity. And um, now that I babbled, um, you can answer the question while I find my electrical cord real quick. Hold on one sec. We can pause. I'll, no, I'll answer that question about um, my parents and having a conversation. And you asked, like, do you think it's maturity? And I think that that's an excellent point about maturity. I think um, when you're a kid, you just want to fit in. You just don't want to be different, regardless of what that is, right? Um, sexual orientation, religion, race, ethnicity. You just want to be like everybody else. And I lived in a predominantly white suburb, went to a predominantly white school. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, um, being accused, first of all, I was like totally a suburban girl. So some of the students who went um, to my school were from the city, right? And so there's this way in which sometimes um, uh, 
city versus suburb gets racialized, right? Oh, like you're not, you know, you're not really- like You're not black enough. You're not hip hop enough. You're not right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm raised by a white mother. I'm, I'm from the suburbs. And I, you know, I speak in a way that is not coded racially or as like I was growing up, you know, oh girl, you, you know, you talk like you're white, right? And so, um, I, you know, I was hyper self-conscious about that. I mean, I remember even, <laughs> it's so embarrassing to think back now, but I remember my friend and I went to like a summer program that was for um, people of color. It was like Latino, African-American, Asians. We went to go, I was at the University of Michigan, we went to go around the room and see where we were from, and like did not want to say, you know, where I was from. First of all, the suburb where I'm from, we never could have afforded had we not, we lived on campus of the school. So it's a very posh area, right? Um, you know, it's like saying you're from Bell Harbor or something. I don't know if that's a good equivalent, but I, uh, anyway, I would, I would say like right outside Detroit. <laughs> like I, right. I wanted to kind of claim and um, I think you get to a point, I don't know, it's different for everybody. For me, it was probably at the end of undergrad where you just don't give an F anymore, where you come into your own, where peer pressure is not as strong, where um, sometimes when, you're, when you get into your like young adulthood, actually you seek being different rather than being like everybody else. So I think it was just kind of, um, everybody is going to have their thing and mine happened to be that. And um, yeah, I think I just got to the point where I didn't care. Like you think that I speak a different way. I don't, you know, like I keep it moving and, and you find, you find your tribe, right? Like Chris and I found you all and, you know, you find your tribe and you're in often you're like-minded or you have things in common and you move away from there. So, yeah. And, you know, thinking back to my parents and, and then never kind of talking to me, I think because I studied this stuff, I kind of wish there had been a few conversations. It's nothing that I like blame or like I have some angst about, but um, you know, that's something I struggle with today. You know, you mentioned my daughter who's eight, um, living in the world we're living in of social media and the news and we can't turn on the news without seeing, you know, I struggle with how much to tell her, how much not to say, you know, how does one talk about race with, with with kids you know it's like really complicated um so i think i shared with you like i she was really little you know she's a barbie girl she still loves Barbie. Right. she would always play she'd always want the white white blonde hair blue eyed barbies which is nothing wrong i mean you can have all, all barbies but she would only want that one and i remember i i you know i told her as a prize for like pooping on the potty she could go get a barbie and we went to the target and so she picks this white Barbie. And if you know anything about Barbies, they, they'll now they're really diverse, but certain ones, they'll make the exact same one, but black, right? So like one's holding a dog and has a whatever, and they'll have the exact same one. So she picks that one. And I'm like, you know, inside my head, I've got all this stuff, shit swirling, you know, my own things that being- It's her own things, yep. Yeah, me wanting straight hair. And I was like, mm -hmm. no, this can't happen. I'm like, well, what about this one? I pull out the exact same one, but black. She's like, no. I'm like, okay, let's keep looking. She pulls another one. We do this for like five minutes. And then finally I was like, said to myself, Sika, stop projecting your own. And I just let her pick that one. But it's still really important. After that, you know, she knows there's no more, no more white blonde Barbies allowed in the house. We've got enough and I'm supplementing it. And now she's got more, you know, she's fine with it. But I don't, I don't want her to think because there's so many ways in which this culture and society tells us um, that um, blackness is not beautiful, that it's not smart or intelligent, right? That it's ignorant, that it's, 
It's so important for me in these really indirect ways to let her know that her hair is beautiful just the way it is, um, that her skin is, you know, whatever is beautiful. That like, and because I study it, I'm always hyper-conscious. So like all the time I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no, let's get this one. And, and I'm, I'm praising, you know, her beautiful, gorgeous hair and her, you know, in its natural state. Um, and I just think that all of us, I mean, whether we are, whatever ethnicity we are, we don't have to be people of color, should be talking to our kids about race. Because the reality is, you know, there are, there, <laughs> there is a lot of tension and um, it's better to kind of be informed and comfortable about talking about it than, um, you know, uncomfortable and pretending that, oh, we're all fine, everyone gets along, which, you know, are recent reality tells us is a myth. Right. Um, great subject. And I, I, it made me think about when you said the depiction of, of black, you know, not being, um, and it ties into something that, that was said in, in, in one of your books, but it's, um, you know, the perception and the ideal that we were taught or we weren't maybe earlier on, like, you know, Obviously, I wasn't, but before that time after time in, in this country or another, that you were thought of as a, a different, like less than, less than, not as intelligent. Um, you know, that's a lot to to try to absorb. Um, and, you know, since I don't have to live the life that you guys have lived, for me, it's like, man, why are we, you know, bringing that back up? Because I don't think about it, right? I don't feel that way. But... I, going back to the nineties and, and having the, the music, right. Cause music's huge right now. And, and I'm that old person again, where it's like, man, I can't stand today's music. Cause I don't believe what they're saying. But if we go back to De La So KRS one, big daddy Kane, like guy, Tupac, even guys that, and even Tupac went a little too far, but the guy was so intelligent and was actually had a true message and was his own revolutionary for his time. Um, but let the system beat them. And, and, you know, I, I just think you get caught up in all that, but when you heard that music or we heard that music and, you know, even the rap before that was a little simple, right? There was only so much to say. It was, it was about party and everything, but then you had that educational side of loving who you were or talking about the neighborhoods that you lived in and that brought awareness, not only nationally, but globally. So I think that's, that's something to admire for sure. And, you know, having those pioneers that that educated on it and created a culture that we all want to be part of, right? Like, you know, there's a whole black culture that we all like to imitate. And and you, we've had this conversation personally in the car, maybe after a few drinks that, you know, using the N-word and, you know, being educated on using the N-word. And, you know, for, for me growing up, you know, it was a way how you spoke to all your friends from football, just in school. And, then, you know, you start realizing now why it's used and why it was taking over as the power word within the black community. This is our word to use. We can use it however we want, right? We're, we're taking it from how you used it against us for us to use it within ourselves and take over that word and taking over that power. Um, so, I mean, super interesting. I mean, I love it. I love having these conversations. I love being educated. I love hearing you speak and, and just dive into it because we don't see what we see. Um Again, this could keep going on. And before we jump on the books, like, because pop culture too, and I think you, we're seeing so many things and you haven't watched any of these shows or movies because you hate um, horror, but there have been some amazing new shows on television, some 
African-American storytellers partnering up with other people that are telling some really awesome, you know, very descriptive, very satire-esque, if that's even a word, storytelling of, of their experience or how they feel, or even if they went back and did something, um, you know, and it's, it's impressive. I think if you're intelligent enough to capture the message, you're really entertained. And if you're not intelligent enough to capture it or, or just watching it for entertainment, I think it will eventually sink in, but there's, there's such an amazing message behind it and they're doing such an amazing job. And it's so impressive that I, 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 I'll, I'll call Chris up. I'm like, dude, did you watch this show? If you haven't watched this show, nobody's done anything like this yet. Um, you know, them just did it. Yvette just made me watch them. We, we just, uh, we just finished watching that too horror for you. There was the other show on HBO. What was it? What, where, uh, it, it has a closeness to your book. That's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, oh, is that the one that you and Chris were watching? Um, yeah. Uh, with Regina King as the, that the one? No, it wasn't with Regina King, but it, it had the superhero book in it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I can't remember the name of it. Either. I can't think of it either. So I could give it props. But I think that much of this began with like Get Out, right? I think that right. Was Get Out started it for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the, right? At least in, within the last whatever. Yeah. Like contemporary either film or television show that... Um, had mass appeal that made a lot of money that people were interested in, you know, regardless of their race or ethnicity, but was also, um, you know, sophisticated in its examination, right, of race, race relations, right, all the while being kind of funny, satirical, right, suspense, and, you know, there have been a number of, like, HBO shows and other things that kind of followed along in that, right, vein. Yeah. Yeah, and and we only know about Get Out is because you know they've allowed it out. Like, who knows how many other artists are out there that have been speaking or telling their stories that you know just haven't made it out or, or been published because you know it wasn't good enough or it wasn't white enough or it was too uh, too in depth. Or he was saying too much. Who knows? But I mean, they're they're definitely pushing the envelope. Lovecraft um, Country. Lovecraft Country. Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. About was um, Watchmen. That one has Regina King that I started. Yeah, Watchmen's with Regina King. But Lovecraft Country. Oh my gosh, that show. It had absolutely everything in it, and I loved it. I love the message. I I I love the depiction of the characters that they were trying to depict and the reasoning for it. And this is all storytelling, right? Like it has some history involved in it and, you know, but it also is as the writer, the person uh, that she wrote is this was how she felt, right? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true for everyone, but it, it might've been true for that group and true for her on what she felt and what she depicted. And that's, that's why I love film so much, man. I'm, I'm not a huge reader but i'm a watcher everybody consumes content dif content differently and and for me it's a a well done movie or or series and and those um so that let, let's unless you had something to say go ahead i want to say one quick thing because earlier you had said something about how you know um how blackness making a huge i was saying you know a huge generalization is thought of as like less intelligent ignorant less beautiful, less with all these things. Um, and I think you said something about like, you know, historically, and I, I just say, 
make it really clear. It's now too, but it's really indirectly and in subtle ways, right? So I'm not saying it's like necessarily some, you know, you know, book everyone's given when they're five that tells you that, but rather and who we praise and who gets modeling jobs and what cartoons feature, you know, um, you know, non-white kids, all these subtle little things via the media tell us that, right? So it, it was not a surprise to me that my daughter was picking the blonde haired, whatever, because that is always the pretty girl in every cartoon and every show, every Disney thing that, so that's kind of what I mean. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. That I didn't, it's subtle, subtle ways that let you think. It's like the subtle ways that women are told that we're always like need to lose weight. You know, it's not like we get some manual. Is it really them. subtle? <laughs> right. I don't no, know. I think, I think it's very apparent. Like even for me as a guy, right? Like, you know, they don't put dad bods on magazines. Um, you know, the famous actresses and stuff, you know, I'm fortunate to have a gorgeous wife, but you know, they're not putting, you know, side by side. Right. I, so my kids, you know, my kids have done acting, right. We've gone on family, uh, castings. They'll usually cast a better looking dad to go with my family. <laughs> uh, sorry, sir. You didn't meet the cut your wife and kids. Well, they, they, they can go. We're going to get this really good looking taller ripped guy into the picture. Like, Hey, what? <laughs> so it's not just you. And I, and I, I think eventually, I mean, at, there was a time where it was subtle, right? But I think now everything's being pushed down, right? It doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, you being black or white or, or weight gain or losing weight. I mean, there's, there, we're, we're being pushed down our throat. I think social media, man, we can really go dive into this. What a woman should look like, right? Like, you know, apparently the Kardashians have created what a woman should look like where now there's surgery because of it. So, you know props to them for creating what the woman should look like these days. But, you know, you should be happy with everything. And I'm learning that about myself through, you know, meditating and learning and, you know, just uh, affirmations and be like, man, you're happy, right? Like for me, working out's a, a huge thing. But the words that you say to yourself every single day, yeah, right, I can work out for an hour. But if I tell myself that I'm overweight, or I had a shitty workout that day, well, that's those are negative affirmation or non affirmation. So I got to tell myself, I love myself no matter what, right? It's this whole thing where you're learning because society, television, all these other non-subtle ways are telling us that what we believe in is wrong. And that goes for everything. I think everything we're being told, what you believe in is wrong, whether, you know, they're, they're fitting it in. Every Everybody's getting a piece of, the, piece of it these days. And, and I don't think it's that subtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, um, so here, here, so I want to talk about, um, your first book real quick. And, um, that was crossing black mixed race. And, and what, what got me here, and this is, uh, there, this was uh, a quote from, from one of the, uh, reviews and let me start it here. So, uh, so Mullins attends to the ways the personal past combines with public memory to produce felt connections to blackness their ongoing grappling with private selfhood in the context of public perceptions makes plain how characters can be both black and mixed race they exhibit a desire to be free of race rules but can nevertheless do while so remaining tied to black consciousness yeah so many things in that 
short sentence, right? Grappling with private selfhood. And we kind of talked about this on how you got there. Uh, the context of public perceptions, right? Like when you're, we're an amazing writer, you can fit so many amazing, you know, valuable words in, in, in just a couple sentences. Um, you know, both black and mixed race, accepting it, the race rules, you know, what those are. And then even black consciousness, like quote that, that's cool. Like black consciousness, like what's that mean? Like, you know, that's, what are you conscious of? Like I'm conscious of whom, who I am. Tell me more about that in that review. Yeah, sure. And maybe I'll give an example, like not everyone, like you said, you're not necessarily a reader, but you, um, you know, you enjoy film and cinema and such um, or pop culture. So like, um, one chapter in that book. So I demonstrate how kind of what you've just read plays out in various novels and memoirs. And then at the end, I talk about two pop culture figures, which I could just use an example right now, which is Mariah Carey and Halle Berry, right? So both Mariah Carey and Halle Berry have um, a white mother and a black father, you know, um, both grew up uh, with a black, you know, absent kind of black father and grew up raised by their, by their white mothers. Um, and both, I think, don't shy away from, are very clear that they are kind of mixed, they don't hide it, they don't write, but also um, acknowledge and put at the forefront their, their blackness, right? Like, so like when Halle Berry won the Oscar, I can't remember how many years it's been now, but she said, you know, um, you know, I think she said something about, you know, being the, the second black woman to, to win that, right? Um, and Mariah Carey um, uh, has also acknowledged that she's like a black woman, right? Um, and so those are two examples to me that suggest that um, that, that a kind of a, a mixed, you know, um, that kind of challenging society's definitions of being just one thing. You can both challenge like race rules in America while still kind of claiming a black consciousness and those two things need not be at odds. So let's kind of connect your question. Like, what do you mean by black consciousness, right? Um, a, you know, I think it's, 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 it's hard to give like a very um, succinct definition, but, and it probably means different things for different people, right? But I would argue that it's connected to um, certainly cultural memory, right? Um, it's connected to, it's experiential, right? So that, for example, um, it doesn't matter where you're from and it kind of doesn't matter where you go. You know, you could go to London, you know, you could go to Germany, you could go to, um, you know, Japan, you could go, like globally, um, the experience of, of black people is different. I don't want to um, suggest it's a monolithic experience, but globally blackness is, black people are seen as the bottom rung of the ladder um, even where black people don't exist, right? So like darkness is seen as not as, right? Whether you go to Brazil, somewhere in South America or you go to Asia where kind of porcelain skin, right? And people are putting on, um, uh, you know, uh, lighteners, cream, what lightener cream, right? <laughs> Sammy Sosa is a good example. Right. Of that. that blackness is seen as something that needs to be avoided, um, seeing something as bad. And thus that creates a kind of um, global, you know, global experience, right? That suggests that I have a um, connection or I feel like I have a connection. Now, not every black person obviously feels like this, but the consciousness, right? That connects me to other people who are also kind of, and there's also kind of cultural memory that goes along with that, right? 
going back to, um, you know, it's similar, you know, when I'm teaching my students, I say, well, think about like the Holocaust, right? And, um, you know, Jews often repeat the important phrase of never forget, right? And the, the idea is that, you know, you, you know, if you are, you know, a 13 year old Jewish girl living today in the US, you need not have gone through, you wouldn't have gone through, right? You weren't alive in the 1940s, you wouldn't have gone through the concentration camps and the Holocaust, but the, there's this idea that you have a, um, there's a cultural memory, right? That continues generation with generation, right? Um, and the same thing is, you know, and there's scholars who, who study this, right? <laughs> cultural memory, it's a real thing. Um, you know, it's not personal memory, cultural memory. Um, and the same thing could, can be said for, for black folk, right? So that's, so my definition of consciousness is all of these things. It's kind of experience, it's memory, right? Um, it's also connected to certainly, you know, struggles, right? Racial struggles and um, kind of being in that, um, you know, within the U.S. or outside the U.S., being in that um, position of, of, of continually to fight for civil rights. Not in the, not in the you know, when we say civil rights, we, we go right back to like 1950s, right? I'm talking about, right? Um, black people still fighting um, for against uh, systematic, uh, sorry, um, um, institutional racism and such. So I think consciousness, you know, and conscious, if you just think of the world, what does it mean to be conscious? I mean, there's a, like a baseline definition of like, oh, I'm awake, right? right. Uh, you can start with that definition. Like, are you conscious? Like, you know, Alex, are you conscious? Not like, are you just awake, but are you aware of your surroundings? Are you... Uh, you know, are you like intellectually, right? And otherwise, um, you know, thinking through and, you know, kind of making moves, right? Um, as it's dictated by your surroundings and, 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 and life and uh, life events and world events, you know, that, that's kind of a consciousness, right? It's just a kind of active, active, not passiveness. Um, and so when we talked about, we were talking about music earlier and how, there was a lot of conscious hip hop, you know, um, you know, back when we were kind of coming up. Well, what does that mean to say conscious hip hop? Well, what we meant when we said that term, right, was it was rap that was, um, you know, kind of heavily invested in, um, um, you know, uh, resistance, right, and um, um, fighting uh, for, you know, you know, the basic humanity of peoples, right. It would, it would call out things that it saw was wrong, right? It that's what we meant by conscious, right? That it's like, um, oh yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware of what's going on and I'm gonna voice my opinion um, or I'm gonna voice my resistance or my protest to that, right? And so I think, you know, if you think about conscious, just the definition of like, oh, does it mean, you know, like a patient, is that patient conscience or not? And you go from there, it kind of helps you understand what what one means when one says consciousness you're right aside from like the body when you're talking about the mind it mean right. the mind to be conscious yeah awesome so the book is called crossing black mixed race identity in modern literature and culture published in 2013 quick book description and uh, so since 2008 the election of barack obama to the presidency debates over whether america has entered a post-racial phase have set the media abuzz. In this penetrating and provocative study, Sika A, Dr. A. Sika Dagbavi Mullins adds a new dimension to this dialogue as she investigates the ways in which various mixed race writers and public 
figures have redefined both blackness and whiteness by invoking multiple racial identities. So the book discusses three novels and three memoirs. Um, you, you touched on this, uh, mixed race celebrities like Mariah Carey and Halle Berry. In the book, she challenges conventional claims about biracial identification with a concept she calls black sentient mixed race identity. Black sentient consciousness dresses a perception rooted in back blackness that does not overdetermine, but still plays a large role in one's racial identification. Wow, that's just a powerful statement. Black sentient mixed race identity. It took me a while to come up with that one. Yeah. Wow, that's well, a whole sabbatical. Wish. <laughs> so you know, this was my this book was my PhD dissertation that I revised in terms right. of. And I'll just, is this required reading for your students or no? no Do you recommend I, it? Yeah, maybe recommend it, but that's iffy to kind of like. Yeah, is it mixed race your class? Um, so I do teach. Uh, um, I teach. I've taught a class, a graduate class to like graduate students called the mulatto, the tragic mulatto, and I've taught critical mixed race studies, pretty much to like to graduate students. My undergrads, I teach like African-American literature, American, they're not so specialized. But is um, it a diversified classroom? Yeah, uh, you know, I teach at FAU, which um, touts itself as the most diverse um, Florida state school. Really? I think our numbers show that. Yeah, in terms of our, our population, mm -hmm. I'm not from Florida, you know? And so when I moved here, I mean, we know that Florida is diverse, but we, our student body, you know, obviously there are, you know, large number of students um, who, who are from the Caribbean, who are from South America, right? Um, you know, some international students, right? Um, African-Americans, right? Um, a huge, I think we've been designated, it's called Hispanic Serving Institution. Which wow. So many, yeah. And so it's, um, it is a real mix. And so in my classes, um, yeah, they're quite, I mean, you know, you sign up for my classes, so you wouldn't sign up, you know, likely, I mean, every once in a while I get someone who's not interested and they just need like, you know, to fulfill a requirement. But usually if you're not going to sign up for African-American literature unless there's some kind of interest. So usually my classes are really diverse, which is great because when we are talking about, you know, I let my students know right away, like we're going to be talking about race a lot. And for a lot of people, I would say, especially white Americans, but probably for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable, right? Because we just are like, I think because there's not national dialogue about it in a way that is, um, you know, productive, that when we get in these small spaces, we feel like, oh, God, are we going to say something that's going to be racist or someone going to whatever? Or do you have beliefs that are, you know, so I let students know this is like an open space, right? I mean, not open, like, you know, say some stupid shit and get, you know, I'll kick you out. But I mean, the open space in which we should be able to share what we think about the text and what we're doing and, and talk about race and talk about you know, that's how we get over things. We need to talk about things that are uncomfortable. I think the problem is, and has been our problem nationally, is that we don't talk about these things. Or that when we do, we talk about them and really, you know, I mean, if you get any person start, like anybody, especially a white person, and, and want to talk about race, they're immediately, usually, um, going to feel like, oh, I don't know what to say here. I don't, you know, and I want students to feel like, no, this is the opportunity and space to do it, right? Because when you go out and you get your, you know, when you get your BA and you're in the real, you know, the real world or you're working, 
um, you know, you're never going to have a space like this where you can just kind of dialogue. It's hard right. to like spaces, right? That's what I loved about being a student. I mean, I'd love to be a student now. I'd love to just be a, a lifelong student because, you know, and it's one reason why I love my job. I'm like, wow, I get paid to like think and write, which is just what I love to do. I mean, right? Like, that's great. I'm just yeah. constantly thinking and examining and analyzing. Um, and, you know, really <laughs> for students, this is the time. When, when else in your life are you just learning? And that's all, that's all you have to do is learn, right? You learn post this, right, in your jobs, but you, you are, you're producing and doing all these other things. You don't really have time to spend. You know, I mean, I, I've never been, and I've always been in academia, so I've never had a job outside of it, but I can imagine it's not the same. You don't have the time to, like, read novels and read history, anthropology, you know, like all these wonderful things. So um, I don't even remember what your question was, but basically, oh, yeah, do I teach about this? Thing? Yeah, so I do, yes, diversity. So we do have a diverse um, student body, which is really great. You know, I think it would be much more difficult if I was teaching at the University of Iowa and had a right. student population. And right. I mean, my, my Latinx students and my Caribbean, they bring so much to this kind of conversation of this messiness called race. Right. And, and you just used the word Latinx, which is absolutely new to me. Uh, Yvette brought it to me. Um, recently um I, I i don't know anyone really using it but uh, uh it's interesting how we're, we we move away from labels but still give ourselves labels right the 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 if what is it the i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say um no, you're right. the belief and non-belief right like you you know you actually you know by not participating you're participating <laughs> um so it's just so funny it's like this whole weird circle um yeah, but we were we also talked on and then we'll move on to my other your other book, which mixed race superheroes seems like it would be on, you know, not as a deep dive into race or, or mixed race identity, but maybe a, a softer voice into it. But before we touch on that, it's you said it took you a long time to create this black sentient mixed race identity. And I don't even know what the word sentient means. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so do tell. Okay. So, I mean, part of that was when I was, um, let's see here. I was a graduate student, right? Um, writing and wanting a, what do you call that? Wanting a, what's the word for that? Like a, uh, lost for words, you know. Let's use the word sentient since I don't know what it means. Okay. So, <laughs> no, I'm is just kind of the the awareness, the, the capacity. It's like a sensory experience, right? right. Capacity to feel feelings, to feel sensations, right? Um, you know, uh, yeah, and it's often kind of connected with like, uh, our, you know, sentience, sensory, right? Feeling, right? And your capacity to do that. And so I was, um, and so oftentimes, for example, maybe you'll hear that term used um, when um, philosophers or scholars think about animals, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have pets, right? Are, do you, like, do you think that your dogs are, are sentient? Meaning, are, do, do they think? Do they, right? I mean, there's a dialogue about that, whether like animals like have feelings or is it just, you know, do we prioritize like human beings, right? 
I would imagine as a dog owner, you'd be like, hell yeah, right? Like my, I, I can tell that, right? So they're sentient beings, right? Is a plant sentient, right? Does a plant have, I mean, those things I think are, there's still so, so much we don't know about, right. you know, the universe of all various things, right? That I'll leave that for scientists and philosophers and such, right? So I, I kind of borrowed the term, right? Because I like this idea of, um, of, of what it evokes, sentience of, kind of an awareness, right? And an, an understanding and such. And that connected for me to, to what we've already discussed, which is like black consciousness, which I also said was like awareness and whatever. And I was like, ooh, you know, I wanted something catchy. That's the word I was looking for before. I'm like, oh, I, I need like a little thing. Catchy, yeah, and, phrase. Yeah, like I came up with it, right? Um, but I also wanted something that was like an easy, okay, when I say this, this is what I mean. What I mean. So I don't have to keep on explaining it. I can just use this term. Um, and I, you know, I said it before, but basically, you know, for me, what a black sentient mixed race identity is, is, um, is, is, um, a mixed race identity. I'm not saying this is something that somebody would say, like I'm black sentient mixed race. (laughs) No, not yet. But when we hashtag it after the webinar, it's going to, it's going to be the thing. No, no, not (laughs) I didn't see it as like, uh, uh, yeah, no, like uh, that's something with someone claim as a scholar. Um, an examination of various texts, I saw this as emerging, right? Which was that these characters would be, all the characters that I looked at were black and white, a black parent and a white parent, let me put it that way. And they were, they all challenged the idea of race in some way, right? Like, um, you know, they either, um, you know, some of them passed, for example, could, could pass as white. And so they would pass for white for some period of time. Or maybe they would resist somebody's, uh, an outsider's definition of them, right? Like you can't define me as black or you can't define me as whatever, right? Which is kind of challenging like race rules. At the same time, they didn't do that in a way that um, elided blackness, right? Or evaded blackness, which tends to be, which I saw particularly at the time I was writing as a trend. And that's connected to what I said earlier about, you know, like why, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else just for a second, but like colloquially, right? When you talk to people, oftentimes people are like, oh, mixed race babies are so pretty, right? Or like, ooh, when you and you have a baby, oh, your babies are going to be so cute, right? And don't think they're saying anything wrong. I think what people don't realize, and, and it's really complicated and deep, is that and I'm not saying these people are thinking this. I'm just saying this is like, you know. The perception. <laughs> yes. Or not this is perception. I think that this is like our history and other things tell us such is that things that are um, blackness that is diluted is seen as more attractive. Mm, wow. I wow. think what people don't realize no. right, is that um, when they say that, you know, so I have a friend, like, for example, who's um, uh, dark skinned, married to an Irish guy, and she's got um, six kids who are all gorgeous because they're gorgeous, you know, not because they're mixed up, but they're gorgeous, right? And so she'll tell me that sometimes people will say to her, I mean, they really are a beautiful family. Oh, your daughter's so beautiful. She must look like her dad. So there are these like really, so is that racist? No, that's not racist. But the point is that like, we're so messed up in how we think about things, right? That we, I would argue that, and it's very clear to me in the media 
that things that are less black, but just a little bit black, enough black that like it's cool or it's like exotic or it's whatever is what we want. Too much black and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I asked for. But if it's a touch black, we are enticed. We, we, We are fascinated. Right. We find it you know, exotic and sexual and whatever, but not too black. Right. And I think that um, is connected to, um, you know, a distancing from blackness that I see as as problematic. Right. Because we don't want to fit, you know, feed into this kind of white supremacist notion that um, which goes back to the Enlightenment period, which is that that Africans were ignorant and bad. Right. And Europeans are, are intelligent and good. Um, and that's still alive today, but in really kind of subtle ways. And that's a perfect example, like fetishizing, like people who are um, actresses and whatever, who are like ambiguous or look in between. So it's, it's not wrong to say they're beautiful, but I, I would, I would, you know, what I would say is question someone, okay, that's beautiful. Is that more beautiful than this thing? And why is that thing more beautiful? Everything is, you know, <laughs> Our conceptions of beauty and aesthetics and such is shaped by the culture in which we're li- we live in, right? Um, so I would say that you know a, a really broad nose and dark skin and hair um, that is excessively curly is not beautiful to us. I mean, it, it's it, you know it's beautiful in my father's country, but it's not beautiful to us as Americans because I would argue we've been taught that that's not beautiful. And if we think that our own views on beauty is like, well, that's just how I think, I would say that's bullshit. I would say that that's a really uninformed, naive idea of how, you know, it's like my own, like, why do I want to lose five pounds? Do I think that I really need to lose five? No, I have been, right, in all these ways, like you were talking about your dad bod. No, it's because it's hard to block out kind of society. I mean, we'd have to live on an island with no social media, no TV, and we probably wouldn't have a problem with ourselves, right? But once we're in this, you know, so anyway, um, I don't remember what you're, you're- I think you nailed it. I think, I think we got on it. I think we went further with it, but it's still interesting. I mean, it's great, but then I think, right? Like, well, I think, you know, that was a sentient or awakening moment for me for like, you know, thinking, you know, hearing your thought process on, on, you know, what's been proven and what's been said on, you know, when someone says that, or, you know, when, you know, well, if you put a little white into it, it's going to make it better looking, right? Like, you know, I like my black, I, I, I automatically thought black coffee, right? Once you put creamer in and it starts lighting it up. And I just start thinking that um, view from, from somebody else doing that, like a, evil mind in a lab like oh if we take all these black people and put a little half and half they're all going to be better looking we're going to create this gorgeous new race right but then i also think from my own naive and loving the world and loving my friends idea like well i think when we all start commingling and and being with each other and it doesn't matter what color or race or anything you are you know i think you just start creating not only visually beautiful people but beautiful because there's they're putting out a different acceptance energy out now mm-hmm. right and and not just saying hey you know everyone should stay with their kind like people have thought before but it, in my idea i just think you know when we're all just in this little world this little bubble in my own head right where 
you know, we're thinking, yeah, you know, I think mixed race people are beautiful. You, you mix a white dude and a Spanish lady, a beautiful kid comes out, right? Same thing with black and white or black and Asian, right? There's even a hashtag black Asian, right? Uh, there's a, right. There's this whole thing and that whole depiction. And now people want to be that, right? Like there's probably people trying to go in and breed that just like there is people breeding different types of good looking dogs and stuff. And not to compare that, but it's like this whole thing, animals and, and just breeding what the thought process of, of beauty is. Um, and, you know, to, to be lame and just say, I think it comes from, from within, is uh naive to say but i i love your idea on it like just giving me that thought process of damn hearing that lady say that i'm like damn she just said that like that's that's crazy right because you know they're probably not thinking that but deep down inside you're right we have been um made to think that with those subtle ideas or what's beautiful and what's not um all of us, by the way. All, all of us. Yeah. Black, white, any color. I think we all have, right? Even within yourselves. Within, and, and it goes beyond color. Yeah. So that's know. awesome. Um, great conversation. I love this. All right. So next book released 2021, Mixed Race Superheroes, um, co-edited uh, anthology of essays. The book description, Mixed Race Superheroes examines representations of racial mixedness literal, metaphorical, or symbolic that take on, challenge, or complicate the stereotypes and romanticization of mixed race identities and the idea of the superhero primarily in comics, film, and television. First of all, I love the word romanticization. Mixed race superheroes addresses issues such as hybridity, belonging, non-belonging, racial authenticity, and purity. Dual identities, passing, and post-racialism in diverse collection of superhero texts. The book has 12 chapters and the introduction written by Sika and Eric Berlatsky. Uh, the first chapter by Sika examines a very well-known film and one of mine and my kids and wife's favorites, the 2017 film Spider-Man Homecoming featuring Zendaya, who is mixed race, um, Tom Holland, Michael Keaton. And the 1984 issue of Amazing Spider-Man, also entitled Homecoming. Uh, Sika examines the representations of blackness, race passing, and race mixing in both. Noting how the film both recycles and goes beyond stereotypes of racial mixedness. So let's talk about mixed race superheroes. Hey, yes. So my co-editor, Eric, um, He's a professor at FAU. He's actually the chair of the English department, and he is a self-described comics nerd. Like he read comics his whole life as a boy, like still reads them, has a whole collection, totally into them. And um, he asked me to uh, he asked me to to uh, help him out with some things that he was writing about comics and race. And then we were like, why don't we wait a minute? There's like something here why don't we like do a book about it, like an anthology about it? Because there's so much, I mean, even if you think, I'm just giving some very obvious examples, right? Of like the proto, you know, prototype for, for the superhero, like Superman, right? Or the costuming, right? This idea of most superheroes have dual identities, right? Like Spider-Man is Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Ego, right? super ego, yeah. Yeah, Clark Kent turns into super, uh, you know, Superman, right? And there's that, you know, um, 
that, that moment where they are there, um, you know, like human or whatever selves, right, as Peter Parker or whatever, and then they become this like special thing. And that idea of like a dual dualness or du duality is like so fitting when you think about, you know, uh, racially mixed people who often feel like they have a dual identity. I'm both black and I'm white, I'm this and I'm that. So there's so many, um, and then, you know, for some um, mixed race people who look a certain way, who can pass, right? Like, um, I remember for a long time, people didn't know that Derek Jeter was black or- um, uh, What? <laughs> I think it's like in the early days, like when you, right. were, you know, or Mariah Carey, definitely when she first came on the scene. Yeah, you had no idea. No, people had no idea. They called her like a, a white Whitney Houston. And she was like, uh, you know. So anyway, for people who can pass, um, right, that idea of passing is like, you know, Clark Kent, or sorry, Superman passes as Clark Kent, right? He's really this alien from Kryptonite, but he passes. So there were all these kind of connections that we wanted to, to, to look at. Um, and let's see what else would I say about it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the book's description says it a lot, but you know, there's the chapters range from comics, right? So like my, my co-editor, who I mentioned, Eric, he talks about the flash, um, which was a right. also a comic. Oh, I don't know if you, uh, your listeners have seen Steven universe, which is on. Yeah. Um, we've watched that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a fun, right? So there's a chapter on that. Um, Let's see here. There's a chapter on uh, Miles Morales into the Spider-Verse. Oh, I love that one too. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, amazing. Right. And then, uh, you know, comics and some other things. Right. And so each of the contributors and, you know, myself and Eric and I kind of like, um, you know, actually in a deep way, you know, think about the ways in which either consciously or unconsciously, subtly or directly, um, uh, literal mixed race characters, like Miles Morales has like a Puerto Rican mother and African American father. So that's an example of like literal mixedness, but there's also examples of metaphoric. So I'll give you an example. Let's see here. One of our contributors talks about the Hulk. Yeah. The Hulk and Venom. Right. So think about how the Hulk, right. Um, the scientist, I forgot his name. Bruce ben Banner. Bruce Banner. Thank you. I was going to say Benjamin. Bruce Banner is the scientist. Um, so that contributor reads symbolically, right reads that move from the intellectual um, scientist into the huge, right, angry, rageful, and green, monstrous Hulk as um, symbolically connect, uh, you know, a representation of mixedness in terms of um, how whiteness is defined, how blackness is defined historically in popular culture, right? So the angry, rageful, bulky um, man that we fear, right? Um, the Hulk kind of replicates white society's fear of black males, right? And how fitting that the scientist who's white is an intellect and calm and not rageful. And so my point is that um, the book looks at both literal representations, but then more metaphoric representations, like symbolic, um, which oftentimes I think for, like when I teach um, students who are not English majors and maybe, you know, maybe they're engineering major and we're analyzing literature, they're like rolling their eyes. Like, you know, cause I'm talking about symb symbolism, symbolic things like, you know, they're like bullshit. Why, you know, why does that represent that? Why would you right. think the Hulk as a black man, right? And um, without going into lengthy discussion, but I say, that's how, that's how I do. That's what we do. And <laughs> in, 
in English, you know, that's what we're, that's what I'm trained to do, which is to think beyond the literal. Not, I'm not making stuff up for the sake of it, you know, like I'm just gonna make up some bullshit, but rather, right, when we take into count history and culture and all these other kind of elements at play, including literary devices and texts, um, you know, we read things, not not like the author meant it to be that. We're not saying- Right, that, yeah, that was my next question. They didn't mean it to be that, right. Oh, right. So oftentimes, um, now I'm on a little aside, but like I've, I've brought um, authors to my class before. Actually in the fall, I had one person who wrote this short story collection come visit the class. We had just read her short story collection. And I, what's so cool about that is sometimes my students will like raise their hand and say, oh, I remember this one author who I brought, Re Rebecca Mackay, really big <laughs> name, American author. We'd read this novel, a short story where it was food was constantly in it. She was making, uh, you know, there are references to food throughout the whole thing. And, and in my class, um, we analyzed it and we found food as like a metaphor for, um, um, for longing. Cause you think of hunger, craving, longing, and it fit in with like what the book was about, the story was about. So we brought her to, to class. And, and so my student was like, yeah, we read it as this. And she gave this whole thing. And, and the author started laughing and she's like, I love that. And I'm going to use that from now on. She's like, but truth is I was pregnant when I wrote that. <laughs> I loved it. And I was like, yes, that's so important because much of this is unconscious, right? right. But it's not, you know, I think actually if it was forced, if an author was like, I'm going to make the apple be exactly. whatever, it would feel too same Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said, you know, you enjoy film, right? I mean, oftentimes can't we see, let's go to, let's go to um, superheroes, for example, right? The X-Men. I don't know if you're a fan of that kind of series. I love all those, right? It's so clear how you can read the X-Men. Who are they? They're mutants. They're mutants who are told to hide, who are told to assimilate. They're mutants who are told to hide whatever oddity, oddity they have and become a part of the fabric of the culture. They're folks who feel um, marginalized, who feel othered. Some of them um, develop a little faction, become evil because they have such resentment over them. I mean, it's a metaphor for any. It is a metaphor for any. Yep. Any group that feels right on the outside and the outskirts of society, right? You could read it racially. You could read it in terms of religion. Yeah, whatever you're feeling, you can take the metaphor for sure. Exactly. I think that's the beauty of that type of literature is, uh, you know, the comic book can be taken on by by so many different aspects of of your your consciousness, your your ideas of of how it's affecting you, and it could change. Every time you read it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And there are multiple interpretations, you know, as for me as a teacher, I'm like, well, as long as it's substantiated by the evidence, which would be the text, any reading is possible. As long as you have evidence that's from the text that helps you with your reading. And that's why I love what I do. And that's why I find, well, cinema, fiction, they're all text to read, you know, even when, even though you're not reading, it's a different way of reading, right? Right. Even you're reading a film. Like if you go to a movie and then you and um, your wife talk about it later, it's the same. It's similar to when you read a book and you analyze the book. It's like, you're taking symbolism, you're taking dialogue, right? Imagery, and you're coming up with something to say about it that, that goes beyond just the, you know, it's not just for the aesthetic pleasure of watching the movie. It's kind of hard 
to watch some movies, unless it's just stupid, right? And funny uh, and not have some stuff to say about it afterwards. Like usually it's like deep, like if you really think about it, right? Right. Um, well, this was awesome. And it actually, uh, Yvette's been listening to a podcast. I wish I remember the name of it, um, but, but it's uh, uh, two black hosts and they touched on and you and I and Chris kind of touched and, and talked about um, Dave Chappelle's Stick and Stones. And they they take a dive into it a little bit, um, you know, not killing Dave Chappelle, but I think of silencing the voice of a comic and what we do. Um, you know, Yvette would know a little further on on what it is, but I think they were kind of saying that you know some of the things he said um, were a little too far, and and he I think he did go far, but I think it was the frustration of the current media and culture of just wanting to shut everything up where it just at one point just felt so natural. If it came from a good place, right. Obviously. Right. Um, you know, if things come from a good place and you're having a conversation and you can laugh and, and talk about it and laughter is such a healing thing that, that when you do open it up and, and leave it to laughter, when you can laugh about it, it, it changes everything. When you get angry and suppress it is when things hurt, right. You become that Hulk. Um, so I, there's some really good, uh, podcasts out there that, that, that touch on that. But, um, you know, that was one of those films where it was like, you know, he touches on everything from race to sexuality, um, just being woke. And, and, um, I, I think it was definitely an angry, <laughs> uh, film for him, but, uh, it's nice to have the platform to, to be able to talk about and shed your feelings. And, and he has that power to do so. And, and being able to use your influence to, to get your message across, I think is respectful, no matter what, what it is that, that you want to say. And, you know, we're so fortunate to be in a time where we have podcasts, we have webinars, we have this new thing, clubhouse now, TikTok, all these different social media platforms for, for people to actually create their own audience, create their consciousness be accept who they are and and actually find those channels to where to where you you find that belonging that you need um but with that said thank you so much for being on where where can everybody get your books where can your books be found for purchase if someone's interested in in purchasing and, and reading further um where can we get them so um the first book can be bought crossing black can be bought on amazon um, or on the publisher website. It's the University of Tennessee Press. And the second book, Mixed Race Heroes, Superheroes, is also available on Amazon or from um, that publisher's press. And so that is Rutgers University Press, if you just go to their website. So yeah, wherever fine books are bought and sold. And so, so they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not beach reads, but um, where, wherever academic books are sold, you'll, you'll find these. All right. Just a couple final questions before you go. Um, we kind of touched on this, but if we could do a final answer, how have representations of racial mixedness changed in popular culture, TV, film, media uh, within the last couple of years? So I'll, I'll say that um, the way in which um, you know, mixed race people, and specifically I focus on black, white, mixed race. I mean, mixed race could be anything, but my, my focus is black, white, mixed race. 
the way they have been kind of portrayed and thought about um, kind of historically to the present has been very contradictory, right? Um, and, and I'd argue that there has been, I think I said this before, kind of fascination with mixed race people and um, you like romanticization, I'll say a fetishization of them, right? How we fetishize them. Um, and there's also ways in which they have represented our, when I say our meaning America's, um, um, anxieties and fears of, you know, um, you know, um, dissolving whiteness or, you know, things like that. And so you can see that in early representations. Um, so there are a lot, like in literature and film, there are a lot of um, tragic mulattoes. Um, and so that term was coined back in the 40s, but basically um, the tragic mulatto, you know, mulatto is like a pejorative term. We don't use that term anymore, but it's an archetype of like the psychologically confused, you know, um, uh, mixed race person, often woman who doesn't know who she is and has a hard life. And in and, and, and literature, she'd always die in the end or commit suicide. And um, that kind of, that, that was a familiar archetype because I think it very clearly um, represented not only how white America and black America were, were at odds and thus like the merging of them was not going to, you know, be successful, but also kind of spoke to our own, like I said, our own anxieties and fears, our own meaning America, white America. All right, so if we skip to, I mean, I think we've made great strides. You mentioned, um, what is it? Ginny and, Ginny and Georgia, the Netflix. Georgia and Ginny, yeah. Right, where the, the, the mixed race teen girl is a white mother, right? Um, I, I might mention, you know, Halsey, I don't know, Drake. I mean, all these like celebrities or, or singers are mixed race. Our, our, our current vice president is mixed race, right? Um, Indian parent and a, a, you know, a black Jamaican parent. Oh, there was a CBS show called, I never watched it, but um, Bob Hart's Ab Abishola with a, was a white American dude who was married to a black um, African woman. Um, and so how these representations change, I think what we, some of what we talk about in mixed race superheroes is that things change but then thing, what, more things change and more things stay the same so that we have uh, more positive, oh, mixed-ish, uh, mixed I should have said that. That show, oh, that show right, yeah. After, yeah, it's got a really great- um, It's spin a spinoff of Blackish, right? Yeah, so it takes the mother who's played by Tracy Ellis Ross. Love her, yeah. And it's supposed to be her background because she's, you know, she has a black mother and a white father. So we have, so I guess I'd say that there are a lot more um, representations and depictions th that make it such that um, interracial unions are not seen as an aberration. It's not some, right? So it's more commonplace. There are more positive representations. Um, and then along with that, because this is the scholar and critic in me, I also see how um, our, our fetishization and romanticization of mixed race um, kind of continues, right? Um, um, and our anxieties and fears kind of continue, right, in these representations. So I would say there have been great strides, more representations, um, and I'd argue that the deeper that you look, we also hold on to, um, you know, stereotypical representations. I mean, I talk about that, and we don't have time for it now, but I talk about that in, in, in Homecoming. In really subtle ways, it's nothing like direct, but in really subtle ways, I also see some continuation of some um, 
some kind of problematic preconceptions of, of, of mixedness. So I guess it's like anything else, right? Which is that we were making strides, right? I mean, if you just even think about this nation, obviously we can't argue we haven't made strides since 1960. Right, there is no argument there for sure. There, we also can't argue that um, this country is um, deeply divided um, and has, you know, and that systematic racism doesn't exist, right? So yes, things have changed, but yes, things still, right? Clearly, we are desperate for um, continuous things to change. We're at a crossroads. So I'd say the same thing um, for, for mixed race representations. Who's your favorite superhero? And if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? So my favorite new superhero is called, she's a badass. Her name is Moon Girl and she's a Marvel. There's, uh, I don't know if anyone's watching, but I'll at least show you, Eric. That's Moon Girl. Okay. Is She's like a nine-year-old black girl who lives in Harlem and who is the most intelligent person in the world. Like she's smarter than Hulk. She's smarter than Bruce. She's smarter than everybody. So it's a new spinoff. You know what they're doing now, right? Like Marvels, they're taking all these old, like old, 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 right? Characters, sometimes revamping him. So the original was Moon Boy. And he was this kind of prehistoric dude who had a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex as his partner. And so in the, you know, new millennium uh, version she's a black girl and she still has the t-rex and she's just kind of badass and of course representation matters no matter who you are right um and so you know maybe you went to go see into, into the spider-verse and heard well i don't know but heard uh you know spanish speaking and thought yes finally right there's a, a latino um superhero and so same thing for me when i saw this moon girl so she's awesome especially if you have a, a um a girl you know, I'm all about any type right. of girl power, but it should be for boys too. Um, so that that's my favorite right now. And I have, Asilo's read, my daughter's read all of them and she loves them, which I, I loved that she loved. Was this the one, uh, the character depicted in the, the show we were talking about, uh, the HBO show or no? Remember <laughs> little girl draw, drew her and created it? I thought yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. An illusion. I didn't, yeah, Chris was talking about it. I had no idea it was Yeah, so it was Moon Girl. Reference to her, yeah. They referenced her, yep. And I'd say, you know, I think the classic response to like superpower, what would it be, would be flying, right? I mean, my husband's a pilot and, you know, I'm not, he'd probably say that. But I would say invisibility, which I think is maybe another one people would Wow. Choose. I think yeah. there's a lot behind that one. There is, but I'd say it's connected to like what I, you know, what do I do? You know, the base of what I do is I kind of, um, I am a... Uh, <laughs> I'm an examiner of, um, of culture and life and literature, right? And, and I'm really interested in what's behind the scenes. And so I think invisibility would be cool. And that's just like the other cool stuff I could do with it, right? Right. But, um, you know, not to be seen and to hear, right, offers you a kind of insight that you can be the fly on the wall, would offer you insight into issues and things that you would never get otherwise. Um, and uh, that makes sense for me in terms of how I'm always trying to unearth things. So I'm going to go for, I'm not going to do anything nefarious with it, but I'm going to go for invisibility. I like it. I think you've got yourself a character. I think <laughs> you should develop it. I'd love to see a comic oh book God. on 
Invisible <laughs> Girl with that perception? Because my head's just automatically going on what you could do. I think there's a lot to be said for it. Um, growing up, I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm not going to psychoanalyze you because I don't have it. But like invisibility, I automatically think, all right, you know, I felt invisible sometimes. And being in the moment, like nobody even knew I was there. And all I heard and, and captured from it, I'm like, do you guys even know that I'm here and what you're saying and what's being said? Like so much can be said for that, a whole series. So that would be interesting, um, which goes into my next question. What are you working on now? What is the current research? And are we going to see an invisible girl, maybe? <laughs> I, want, um, I want Cortez to draw her. You're yeah, uh, good luck. Amazing artistic. I probably have to Thank you. Yes. Talk. Yeah, we went to his art show last night. He had a, a lot of amazing work at, at, that he did for school. Yeah, he's probably beyond my pay grade. I don't know if I can. <laughs> um, so I am writing on, I found this series called um, Goldie Vance. So I'm going to just show a little picture. That's Goldie right in the middle. So it's a graphic novel that takes place in Florida. There's a couple volumes of it. Um, and she's kind of like a Nancy Jewish detective, whatever. And she works in a hotel um, and it takes place in the 1960s. And she, and she solves all these crimes and it's like light and fun. But what's interesting about it is she's, um, her dad's black and her mom's white. Her dad works in the hotel. And so that's why I started reading. I'm like, okay, let me see what's going on in here. And to me, what the most fascinating part of it is and what I'm writing about is that the series takes place in the 60s in Florida. And yet it's, um, it is not, it purposely is not historically accurate. In other words, there's no race issues. There's no, she's like this badass woman who does all this girl who does all this stuff. There's no like, sexism issues. So it's like a, this purposeful kind of like ahistoric thing. And a little South Florida legal history is what I'll end with here is what was interesting to me about it is I was like, huh? Well, first of all, I was like, that's really, it's really weird to read something that's supposed to take place during a time period. But the main thing that would be going on is not going on. Right. Right. So that's like, that's bizarre. Right. Um, you know, it's like reading something that, you know, take place in the 1800s where women are like in positions of power. Like that's, right. and so that's what the series is doing purposely, right? So I was looking into, and this is something I didn't know before. I was looking into South Florida history and most of us know about um, the Supreme Court ruling Loving versus Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. So that was um, the ruling that said that, um, that basically legalized interracial marriage, right? Before 1967, and not, not all, but in many, particularly Southern states, it was illegal for, for Black people and white people to marry, right? After 1967, the Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional. So in 1964, so three years before that, there was a um, court case, McLaughlin versus Florida. Um, and there was a hotel worker. So this is the connection because a black hotel worker and a white woman um, who he, his girlfriend, who was a waitress, he was from Honduras, but really dark skin. And so they read him as Negro, right? And um, somebody, they were living together, not married, living together. And there were uh, laws on the books in Florida that said that any Negro man that lived with a white woman or any black Negro woman who lived with a white man could not cohabitate, right? If he did, you'd have to, right? pay fees or whatever was illegal. 
So they lived together. So they were breaking the law. Somebody ratted on them, right? Um, and in the ruling, they deemed that these anti called miscegenation. That's another. That's a word they used for you know race mixing. They deemed anti miscegenation laws about um, cohabitation unconstitutional. Um, so this was not about marriage, just about cohabitation. Right. But in other words, three years before Loving versus Virginia. Um, there was this in Florida case that said that, no, Florida, you can't say that these people can't live together. Um, all of that to say is like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. In this series I'm reading, Goldie Vance, her dad, who's black, works for a hotel, and her mom, who's white, is a waitress, just like the, the, um, the plaintiffs in this right. in the court case. So long story short, I'm, um, it's what I've been using my sabbatical for. I've been researching about South Florida history. And I, I wanna talk about the ways in which these series um, um, attempts to stray away from the past, right? Like pretend, you know, it's historic, but how we can never do that, right? Um, and that, that subtly and probably indirectly, it's always recalling the past. Um, and, and one way I'm gonna talk about that is through her parentage and its connection to McLaughlin versus Florida, 1964. Who wrote that, who wrote that series? So it is. Are they mixed? Or are they white or black? Or do we know? No, I do know. Yeah, I've looked him up. She's white. Um, Hope Larson um, is the is the primary writer. And I actually read, I was written, you know, doing research, I was reading some interviews with her where she said, they asked her about this. They were like, this is interesting. Yeah. It takes place in, and I should say that aesthetically, it's, it's gorgeous and very retro. Like here's like a little, look at her, you know, her glasses. Yeah, and, yeah, I love it. You know, look at this guy, he looks like he's out of Greece, you know, or, um, so everything is retro. The clothing is retro, everything, right? But then the, but then the situation, right? I mean, there's no way a black man would have been, you know, there's all these things that are not possible, especially in the 60s, right? Where I was looking more, yeah, I was looking at more South Florida history. So for example, in these books, all, everyone who comes and stays at the hotel and all her friends are all multiracial. I mean, there'll be an Asian and a black and it's like the United member Benetton. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. We're dating ourselves. It reminds me of those Benetton. Oh, everyone gets along, right? Which would not have been the case, um, you know, and I was looking up, I was like, I didn't, you know, I'm not from Florida and I just don't know this. It makes so much sense. But Florida used to have, you know, um, in other places, they used to have sit-ins. Right, we know about that. <laughs> Where um, black, you know, black people sometimes with um, you know white allies would go um, and sit at a, a diner, right? Where people would pour sugar and whatever, right? Where they were not supposed to be because of segregation. Well, in Florida, they had wait-ins where beaches were segregated, right? right? Which is so ridiculous because, like, the ocean water, you can't separate, you know, eventually the water that touched a white foot is going to touch your foot, whatever. <laughs> so they had these wait ins in which um, um, blacks and whites, um, to protest segregation, right, where blacks would either go to the white beach or blacks and whites would go to a beach together, right, to kind of protest these things. And so I'm going to talk about that too. You know, I'm learning about all this kind of South Florida history. I'm like, oh, that's, that makes so much sense. And that's really interesting that that was the Florida equivalent. Um, and it connects to the series because it takes place in this fancy resort where everyone goes to the beach, all the, and it's mixed and everyone goes to the beach. Right. Like in 1962, you that been, there would have been, yeah, it was segregated and there would have been issues. But of course it doesn't talk about, these books don't talk about the wait-ins or don't talk about, um, 
and purposely don't. And, and so in an interview, Hope Larson, the, the writer, when she was asked about it, she said that she didn't mean anything by it, that she just, that she, 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 she liked the 60s aesthetically, right? Like she liked the architecture, she liked the style of dress and such. Um, and that's why she chose it, but that she, she, she intended to be kind of like Riverdale in Archie comics. I don't know mm -hmm. if you right? Um, and I, I, I took that line that she says, like it meant to be like Riverdale. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because Riverdale has well, a lot of issues, right? Yeah. The first black character didn't come until like the end when it's no longer popular and they purposely avoided race and all these things. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that you used that. See, this is what we do, right? I'm like, oh, it's interesting that you would use that reference out of all because you're doing the same thing, right? Which just you are um, in a way just, uh, it, it didn't exist. And no, I'm not doing it for any purpose, but um, you know, from a critic's point of view or critic's eye, I see everything as historically and otherwise kind of connected, right? So um, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to read a little bit about Florida, um, South Florida history and to try to make some connections. Um, and plus, I just really like them. They're, they're, they're like detective, um, cute little detective things. I think they're probably more YA, like young adult meant for, you know, yeah. teens or whatever. But I really enjoy them and they're, and they're really cool and cute. So um, that's what I'm working on. Well, great. I can't wait to hear more about it and hopefully read it. This was awesome as usual. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Um, I can't wait to publish it and send it out to everyone. So thank you all. Um, thank you all for welcoming Dr. Sika Dagbubi Mullins. Um, super interesting books. Make sure you grab them on Amazon. Reach out if you need have any questions or want to learn more or have them on your show. Thank you again. Have a great day.